welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Wild West edition. My name is Brent Whitmire. I'm an editorial and features writer, and I am here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Friday, July 10th. We've had an activity-filled week here in the Press Gallery. Most politicians are down in Calgary for some knockoff, second-rate imitation of K-Days. For the first time in her term, our new premier met with the cowpoke from 24 Sussex. We've received new reports from Mr. Bad News, the Auditor General, detailing a host of problems. All that plus new Unite the Right talks in Sherwood Park, designed to mitigate the risk of a united left. As always, I promise we'll try to wear our hats the right way. Here in the studio, before they're off to shop for bolo ties with Nahid Nenshi, we have city columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Brent. Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. And making her press gallery debut is our new Provincial Affairs reporter, Jody Cinema. Hello. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Graham does this little golf clap. That's very nice. That's the official. Uh, re- that's the official welcome. I don't know. I think it's Stampede Week. You should say Yahoo. <laughs> She's saddling up. Anyway, you all look fantastic. On Monday, Auditor General Merwin Sahar released a 118-page report that, that, on first glance, seemed Stampede-focused grazing leases and so-called cowboy welfare, but it also touches on energy and mental health. Jody, what struck you as the highlights of this report? I would probably highlight four items. As you mentioned, uh, the cowboy welfare issue is more about grazing leases. That was one of the new issues that came up, and that's public land. So the province owns public land, and it rents it out to various farmers, ranchers, and whatnot. The rental rates were set back in 1960s based on a calculation. And uh, a review showed that public lands were being rented out for about $3 a head for each cow that you might have on there. And private lands were often being rented at, you know, 10 times that at $30 per head. So the province is potentially losing, I think Moran Saher said about $25 million per year with these low rental rates. A lot of these farmers are getting money from the oil and gas. They come in to develop it. They're supposed to be getting some compensation because they're losing some grazing land for their cows. They, you know, fences might have to be built, but they're getting a lot more money than the actual government is getting from the rents. So that was one issue that came up. Another issue, uh, and it's a perennial issue that has come up for years and years under previous auditor generals as well, is carbon offset programs. The province has a system of offsets for carbon, so you can bind trade uh, carbon credits. If you're a farmer and you begin doing what's called no-till or zero-till farming, you can get credits because you're actually using a new technique where you drill holes in the ground as opposed to plowing the ground, you're drilling holes, then you're actually giving up a lot less carbon emissions. But what the AG has been saying for years is that the province is not actually watching this closely enough to find out if farmers actually are doing it properly. If they actually doing it for the first time. Very often what they were doing, they've been doing zero till for years, <laughs> and then saying, I think I'll apply for this program. The program is to encourage farmers to change their system of farming, not to give credits to people who are actually already doing it. Also, there's a potential that farmers are selling their credits to more than one uh, company, <laughs> one in Alberta and then maybe one somewhere else. There's no proof they're actually doing this but there's no proof they're not doing it. Because, yeah, because there, there are no safeguards built into the system. Right. There's no regulation from the province, and that's what Moran Sahar said is the problem. We need to have a system that tracks this so that we know that the reduction in greenhouse gases is actually working in the province. And the province still hasn't done anything about it. Now, of course, we say the province and the government, we've changed governments mm-hmm. now. And this report is aimed at the old PC government. Now, we have a new NDP government, and the question is, will they do things better? 
for the NDP, this is actually a very good news Auditor General's report because none of this is on them. And these are things, I mean, if you think about what Jody just explained about the grazing leases, I, I'm sitting here incredulous as she's explaining that the rates haven't changed since the 1960s. We've all changed a lot since the 1960s. Uh, <laughs> prices of everything have gone up since the 1960s. And it's a little bit akin to the to the oil and gas royalty reviews. I mean, if we don't make sure that Albertans get their fair share from our resources, those grazing lands belong to all of us. What was interesting is when Drew Barnes, who's with the Wild Rose, he said he he has one of these leases and he said, look, we have to be really careful. Obviously, he likes getting the money from the province, as do farmers and farmers not always they don't always make a lot of money. So he was saying, hey, let's be really careful as we move forward. So you can see there's going to be some pushback. Back in 1999, there was an act that was defeated and it was going to change this, bring in some new regulations and it didn't go forward. And the Auditor General suggested that there must have been a lot of lobbying going on at the time that got it defeated. I think the act was passed, it was never enacted. And so this shows you the pressure from ranchers on the old PC government. And when it comes to the actual disconnect between what the farmers were paying or are paying, ranchers are paying for this, these land uh, leases versus what they're actually worth. In one case, I believe, a farmer was paying $500 a year for two leases. But on the market, he could buy and sell them. He could actually sell them for $265,000. Straight in the pocket. Right. So the farmers not only get the leases, they can buy and sell them with each other. And they're worth a lot of money. I think the other thing that I'd like to signal out in the Auditor General's report is that he was very scathing about the province's continued failure to organize its mental health care system to deliver mental health care to people who need mental health care. Certainly the new health minister, Sarah Hoffman, jumped on that, was very quick to say she accepted all the Auditor General's recommendations. But as Graham has, has alluded to, it's very easy, because this is still the little baby honeymoon government, to say, oh yeah, we're going to fix all the things. Fixing all the things is not going to be as easy as all that. And mental health care, I mean, these are big problems, and they kind of mirror some of the problems that are in the health portfolio. So people with mental health problems are sitting in psychiatric beds and hospitals waiting to get out into community beds, and there's not enough of them. So they're blocking those beds in similar ways where emergency room patients are sitting in emergencies. They need to get out into the community, but there's not room for them. Also, primary care centers, this is where people can go and see doctors, nurses. They can get dietitian advice. They can hopefully get psychiatric advice, get counseling, but a lot of these primary care centers don't have mental health people on site. So that's part of the problem. We're going to have to hire more if we want to increase our mental health in Alberta. And in the long term, that all saves money. If you can give people good, stable, continuous supportive care in the community and get them out of hospitals, that's not just better for them. It's better for the healthcare system. So we talked about this being sort of a, on the PCs, but is this going to be on the NDP? Well, it's both. It's, um, it's interesting. It's good news and bad news. This report from the Auditor General is good news for the NDP in a sense they had nothing to do with all the problems here. And the potential bad news is it's like a baseline study for the government. In other words, you're coming in, here's all the problems. Here's where we're starting from. And so we can see in the next few years if the NDP is actually doing things better. Moving from one of the most substantial issues of this week to the <laughs> least substantial, um, I'd like to talk about Stetson Gate. Um, I, I'm from Calgary. I remember seeing Mikhail Gorbachev wearing one of those things. And I think it was Inside Out. <laughs> all right, so, so first of all, they're not Stetsons. They are Smithbilts. 
You have to be very careful, Calgarian. And you're, the, you're a Calgarian. I'm, I'm not a very good Calgarian. And the price range on these Smith-built hats are anywhere between, I think, 50 for the lowest up to 1000 for a custom-built hat. These uh, People invest a lot into these really nice hats. So were you guys surprised that this was a thing? And was this a thing? So the Stetson Gate or the Smith-built gate? <laughs> hat gate, I think. Hat gate. I like that. For a brief time, the Premier had her hat on backwards. Uh, you know, apparently Harper had his on backwards in that infamous photograph from years ago. I mean, there was a little bit of buzz on Twitter. People kind of commented on it, had a few giggles about it. Uh, some people did make a, a bigger thing of it, and they see it as a symbol of Rachel Notley's disconnect with people in rural areas. But, you know, it just shows you damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because like, let's remember, Prime Minister Harper grew up in downtown Toronto in Leaside. And Rachel Notley grew up in rural Alberta on a farm where she rode her own horse. So, you know, she rode the horse in the parade. I think she looks way better in the hat than, <laughs> than certain other politicians one could name. But, you know, it just shows how difficult it is for the NDP to win hearts and minds in Calgary. They went down to the stampede. They gave Calgarians, here's the cancer center you've been agitating for for the last 15 years. Hey, we made a deal to give you that ring road you've been wanting through this scene of First Nation. Hey, here's some more goodies for Calgarians. What are people upset about that for a few brief moments she had the hat on backwards? That photo op with, with Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And I'm curious, what is in this photo op for the Conservatives? What do they have to gain from these meetings and having Joe Cece at uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper's um, oh, I, th- I think he, he kind of crashed that. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's being cheeky, I think, going to that. I think the, the sense right now, they really don't care. They won the election and we'll see what happens. Also, th- they're still in that euphoric phase in a lot of ways. Like Joe Cece went there, I think, just to see what was going on. As for Harper, you know, you had that meeting with Notley. They go in shaking hands, come out being very friendly. And one of the issues they didn't agree on was more money for flood relief. Notley wanted $600 million more. Harper is saying there's $200 million in one of the the funds. Harper doesn't want to give any sort of uh, more help right now to the NDP in Alberta. He's heading into a federal election. He'll do a photo op because he has to do the photo op because this is the new premier. He's in Calgary for the stampede. They're both there. They have to meet at least to show there's some civility there. But moving down the road, Harper does not want to help the NDP right now in Alberta because by helping them out, they look better heading into the federal election. And people will be looking at how the NDP government is doing in Alberta and thinking, if they're doing well, could this actually then impact the rest of the country? But it's, it is a very funny picture because they're, you know, the height differential and, you know, Rachel Notley in the white hat, Stephen Harper in the black hat, and she's got a great big toothpaste commercial grin on and he <laughs> looks like a snapping turtle has grabbed his hand and, you know, he's got this grimace like he can't wait to, you know, to shake her off. Well, it was also interesting interesting that Rachel Notley didn't meet with Thomas Mulcair. So mm-hmm. it was very deliberate. <laughs> she met with Harper. She did not need to meet with Mulcair. How important is it for the for the NDP to woo Calgary? I mean, they obviously made those big announcements that Paula referred to. It's like the old saying, you only get uh, one chance to make a good first impression. This is them trying to go to the, 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 camp, uh, the stampede. And then you know their numbers are not great in Calgary. They didn't win seats in Calgary outright. There were, most of them were done through uh, vote splitting with the Wild Rose and Conservatives splitting the vote and letting the NDP go up in the middle. So the NDP knows it has to try and win over Calgary, and it's starting to do this in the old traditional method that the PCs did over years, and that's make announcements during the stampede. Klein did it, 
Stelmack did it, they all did it, because Calgary loves Calgary, which is fair enough, and they like the fact politicians come to the city for the stampede and give them things. Mm. And they've done it for years, and, it, and the NDP is no different. The thing is, they gave them the cancer center, they gave them the West Wing Road, but there was no money attached to it. So we don't know how much this cancer center is going to cost, nor if there will be subsequent money to help operate it. So in some sense, it's kind of like that Sherwood Park Hospital. So they built it as a hospital, then there wasn't any operation funds to actually make it a hospital. So it's more of a care clinic. Hmm. We're going to have to watch in the fall budget how much money they're actually going to give to that cancer center and how much to that ring road around Calgary. This week, there was news that there was a meeting three weeks ago in Sherwood Park organized by federal candidate Garnet Genuis, political strategists talking about how they might unite the, the Wild Rose and the progressive conservatives. Uh, do you think this idea has any legs or will uh, Wild Rose leader Brian Jean opt instead for a quiet afternoon of bull riding? Well, it was interesting that Brian Jean was the only one to respond. So uh, the PCs weren't willing to go on the record to talk about whether or not they were interested in this idea. Brian Jean was very careful to say there have been no official talks. And really, I think if Brian Jean is thinking strategically, what is the upside to him? What is the upside to bringing them into his tent on, you know, to try to make them be there on his terms? They would be very uncomfortable bunkmates. And I know a lot of these meetings have been going on amongst people on the right. But it seems to me that the meetings are mostly going on not amongst the people who are actually the politicians, but the people who are the wannabe politicians and the pundits who are saying, you know, we have to unite the right. Yeah. And the PCs likewise are thinking the wild rose may be too far right. There's actually a, a bit of a debate within the party right now, within the caucus. You've got the interim leader, Rick McIver, who is more right wing, wants, wants to go more right and take over the wild rose's territory. Then you have people in the party who are a bit more moderate or thinking, no, 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 red Tories are the way to go. In other words, become more moderate, become that middle ground so that, that the NDP is seen to be too far left and the Wadros is seen to be too far right. So they're hoping then to actually come back in a few years and become the moderate party. So they don't, so there's people in the party who don't want to join with the Wadros either. Um, and I think that the points that... Um, uh, Paula's making a very good from the Wild Rose point of view, but the PCs are not exactly jumping into bed right now with the Wild Rose. And I think we're going to see things shake down. And there's there's no full-time leader right now for the PCs. You have Rick McIver in an in interim position as a leader. And we'll see what happens a year from now when they actually do the actual leadership race for the PCs to see what actually happens. Graham's right, because I think there's also some quiet talk going on between some people on the pinker end of the PC spectrum with the Alberta party. Because, you know, the Alberta Party was founded originally by a lot of disaffected Tories who left because they thought the PCs were too far to the right. So, you know, there's a possibility that what's left of the PCs could could really fracture into two different camps going in two different directions. Um, Either way, I don't think Rachel Notley needs to lose a lot of sleep at night worrying about the resurrection of the Progressive Conservative Party. (laughs) Certainly not in the short term. And obviously she... uh, she has other things to worry about, as you say. Uh, one of the things that she mentioned this week was she gave her cabinet an interesting summer homework assignment due in February, so they don't have to get it done by uh, by September. Every cabinet minister has to come up with a plan to implement the UN uh, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. What will this review involve and why make this public? From what I've heard, and I'm, I don't have uh, history on this, but I understand that oftentimes these mandate letters go each individually to all the ministries, that there's not one overall mandate letter that's often sent out. But I think this is her saying, hey, we're going to 
we're going to make a move on this and improve things for Indigenous people, people in Alberta. It was an easy step to take. Send out the letter now. Let people know things are going to start happening. She is going to be drafting during the summer individual letters to all the ministries, so to education, to health, to energy, setting the priorities for each of those ministries about how they can improve things for Aboriginal Métis people in Alberta. Why do this publicly? Yeah, it's true. As Jody said, it's, it's in some ways a branding exercise to demonstrate how different they are from their predecessors. But I think it also speaks, you know, I have to say I was quite cynical when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission started on its roadshow because I thought, really, how is this going to change things? Yet another report that'll gather dust on the shelf. But I think it's really interesting because I think in the wake of the release of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations, people are talking more about this issue than I've heard them do in a very long time. And I think this is part of that that narrative momentum. It's fascinating that if you think about it, that every single ministry has, you know, has an impact on the lives of Indigenous Albertans. And the idea that Notley is going to make it a priority this early on in her mandate is, I think, very encouraging. It's also a very practical, and I agree with, with both my colleagues about why she's doing it, the branding issue. It's the right thing to do, makes them d- look different from the OPCs. There's a very practical, um, I guess, icing on the cake to this, and that is social license when it comes to actually getting the public behind us, not only here but across North America, to build more pipelines. There's two, uh, two facets, environment, environmental protection, and treating the First Nations properly and consulting with them. And after paying lip service for years, the Alberta government appears to, and this new government is actually apparently actually going to do something about that. And that to me is important if we're trying to build more pipelines and get approval for exploiting the oil sands or whatever, you need to do the social license work and the NDP appears to be doing that. Uh, so we've come to the part of the podcast called Good Stuff from the Gallery. We each share something we've enjoyed often, but not always, with Political Connection. So Jody, what do you have for us today? So I've been reading a lot this week about the Greek crisis, a lot of sort of basic background information. I really liked commentary that George Monbiot wrote in The Guardian. I'm not sure if I pronounced his name correctly. He wrote about how the austerity measures set out by these financial elite hit the worst off the hardest. It's almost like colonialism on behalf of the banks. It's Germany, the really wealthy countries that set targets. So I think going forward, it'll be interesting to see how this all wraps up, but it's a good commentary on on how to look at this and how to see how it's working. My good stuff is also related to the Greek financial crisis, and I've never recommended a Reddit before, (laughs) Uh, but uh, I want to recommend a a Reddit Ask Me Anything that was done by two reporters, uh, analysts for The Economist magazine, uh, Tom Nuttall and Philip Coggan, in which they answered everyone's questions about everything you ever wanted to know about the Greek financial crisis. Great. That sounds good. And Graham? Um, Mine's from the uh, New Yorker, July 6th and 13th edition. It's a very short little essay. It's just talking about the translucent lie put forward regarding the the Confederate flag. And it's talking about how the South has perpetuated this myth over the years that the Civil War is about states' rights, not slavery. It's really well done. 
Uh, my good stuff this week comes from Coldy Kosh, our Edmonton colleague over at the National Post. In today's National Post, uh, Kosh takes on the comparisons of Rachel Notley and Bob Ray. Maybe Notley is Bob Ray, Colby says, but not the 90s NDP premier, not Ray Day Ray, but Bob Ray, the elder liberal statesman who, as Kosh notes, has been an eloquent defender of free markets. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio, so subscribe today. Check out the Journal's Facebook page. We're all on Twitter. Thank you, Graham, Paula, and Jody, for joining me in the newsroom studio. Tune in next week when we'll be back for K-Day edition, talking about which of the federal leaders would make the best Klondike game. That's all for now from the Press Gallery. Thanks for listening.